So we're continuing uh, on our series on the Apostle Paul. Um, and I actually think it's a wonderful kind of convergence, our emphasis on St. Francis today, because if there is really any passage that embodies both the life of Paul and the life of Francis, it's contained here in Philippians chapter 1, 20 through 30. Again, for those of you who maybe missed the earlier sermons, just to remind you, Paul is in prison. Uh, it could be the last imprisonment of his life in Rome. Uh, it could also have been in Ephesus or Caesarea. And the Church of Philippi, uh, there were no Jews in the town of Philippi. It was a Roman colony with a lot of ex-military folks there. And it was an amazing beginning of the church, but Paul was probably not there very long. And yet it's many ways, it's his most warmest letter. As the, I'm sorry, that, that was not proper, but uh, it is his warmest letter, his most intimate of all his writings. So listen to the word of God. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I cannot say which I will choose. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that by my presence again with you, your boast might abound in Christ Jesus because of me. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and in no way frightened by those opposing you. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living God. Amen. There was a country song uh, out, on, I don't know how long ago, maybe 20 years now. Tim McGraw wrote this song, and the verse starts out by a friend of his gets a bad report from the hospital. And, uh, and the song is this dialogue between uh, the person who got the bad prognosis and the songwriter. And the last part of the chorus says this, so I love deeper, I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness. I gave the forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Okay. It's a fun song. It's a good song. And it's actually a pretty powerful message uh, that sometimes 
we don't appreciate what we have until it's gone, right? And if we could live our lives with a sense of this may be our last day, then there might be a different kind of, of mercy we would give, a different kind of joy we would have, a different kind of attending to the good gifts that God has given us. And so this idea of really, that's what living, for me to living, to be living is Christ, which is what Paul says. And we had a wonderful uh, discussion about this at the Bible study Tuesday. That really is in summary, a way to think about the life of Francis of Assisi. I think Francis of Assisi has come to represent the best of what redeemed humanity can be. A life that's full of love and joy, a piety that embraces this world, embraces the beauty of creation, and is willing to reach down and touch every human being. The world that Francis was born into was a changing world. The 13th century, he was born in the late 12th century, died in 1226. In the early part of 13th century, the world was really changing. And there were major threats external to Christianity during his time, but the inner threats were even greater. The church in the 13th century seemed old because it was. It's over a thousand years old. And the little poor man, as he was called, started a movement that brought reform and spiritual life and light that still impacts millions of followers of Jesus. It might go too far to say he saved the church, but he certainly brought a life to the church that needed to happen. The 21st century, in many ways, reminds me of the early 13th century. The American church has external threats, but the greater dangers are the inner ones. And Christianity here in New England seems old. Paul would say that the answer would be that we would find our being in living in Christ. And on this Communion Worldwide Sunday, almost 800 years after the death of Francis, I think Francis has some things to teach us as well. He was born Giovanni di Pietro di Bernardino in 1181. And as a kid, he was kind of a party, party boy. He was like the life of the party. He and his teenage friends, they'd go around town singing and, and partying late at night. And he's that guy, we all have that guy, that, that kid, who even whatever they do wrong, you still kind of can't get upset with him. All right, you know that kid. Um, um, none of my kids were that way, but um, <laughs> yeah, probably no, actually two of them were kind of that way. Uh, and he was like that. And he wanted his, he dreamed of being a soldier and he actually fought in a war or battle and got captured and, uh, but tried to go to another war, but got sick and wasn't able to. He wanted to be a troubadour, which would be the rock stars of, uh, of that day and, and the great birth of romantic love and all that is part of this time. Um, but something changed with him. Um, and I told one of the versions of the story to the kids. Uh, another version was that 
he had this fixation about leprosy. He was, was particularly mortified of it. But he kept remembering all those stories of Jesus touching the lepers. And one story is that he had ridden past this leper. He came back to him and he picked the most obnoxious leper you could find. Because this leper just heaped abuse on him. But Francis took care of him. And at the end uh, of this leper's life, he, he repented. And the legend goes that when he died, that he was made perfectly whole. And the miracle legend, I think, points to the reality is that when we start hugging lepers, we give them an opportunity to change. When we see people not from the external bitterness or not from their failure or not judge them by their politics or their socioeconomic class or the color of their skin and see a child of God, then we have an opportunity to have the perspective of Christ. Francis of Assisi helped transform the church by hugging lepers. I think what it means for this congregation in this place and time is for us to embrace the lepers of our community. He had a vision, and um, the vision was uh, God came to him and said to him, uh, restore my church. My house is in ruins. Restore my church. And Francis was not the most theological person, so he took it literally. So he started going around rebuilding broken down churches. So he would, he would go find stones, and he kind of got in trouble early on because he sold some of his dad's stuff to pay for it. His father was not too thrilled about that, to say the least. But he would go around and find stones, and he started begging stones. And so for a while, he took literally that he was supposed to repair these broken down churches. And if you've been to Assisi, you have seen some of those churches that he restored. Matter of fact, the cathedral of Assisi is built around one of the first churches he restored. But that's not what God was really saying to him, not literally. The church was in ruins. It had fallen away from its initial call. It had ceased to be what God had wanted it to be. And Francis's job was to help it remember to whom it belonged. And I think for us to live as Christ in, nine, in, in 2023 in Manchester, Vermont, is to rebuild the church, not the building, not the institution, not to go back to doing things the way they used to be done or trying to rebuild some sort of mythology of a glory day. But what does it mean for us to be the people of God here and now? What does it mean for us to get back to what Jesus called us to do? Paul didn't say for me to live is to build, rebuild an institution. Paul didn't say for me to live is to uh, make sure that I have as much fun as possible. 
Paul didn't say for me to live is to be respected in the community. For me to live is Christ. Restore the church. Rebuild the church. One of the other things he used to go around singing, he would go around singing all the time, and he sang in French, which was the language of the troubadours, and they composed this divine poetry. Matter of fact, there's this wonderful Franciscan tradition of writing, of poetry, of music, of art. I'm going to talk a little bit about that on Wednesday. And this idea of that um, people outwardly called him, uh, they called them the troubadours of God, but in person, he used a word that could be translated either jugglers, the jugglers of God, or can also be translated the jokers of God. And one of the things that I think is powerful about this is the idea that the church is not to be this somber place of respectability, but it's supposed to be a place of, of joy and hope. One of the things youth ministry taught me was to take what you're doing very seriously, sharing the gospel, but don't take yourself too seriously. And I think Christians have a tendency to get that reversed, <laughs> right? Right? Uh, we, have, we, we forget to have a high view of what we're talking about, but we end up having a high view of ourselves, right? But I think we should, this gift that we've been given should be held on lightly. The joy that we have in music here, the beauty of this art, is really an end unto itself, but it's also a vehicle by which we remind people that life is to be enjoyed and loved. It's like, why did Francis preach to the birds, right? Why did he call the earth his brother? Because he reminded us that God has given us gift of creation, that we are more like the birds that were like God. And yet the powerful, the powerful idea that God keeps his eye on the sparrow, the way that God gives us the beauty of this world means God cares so infinitely about this world that it should set us free to love and to see the supernatural light of God that shines on the natural. We love living in Vermont. The beauty of this is ours every day. But what is the deeper thing God wants to teach us? And how do we share this gift? Preaching to the, when Francis preached to the birds or praised the lilies or talked to the wolves, it's reminding us that all these things are not ends unto themselves, that they are to point us to God. How do we use the beauty of this place to help people not just love the beauty, but rediscover the creator that they so desperately need? Just because people are not feeding themselves spiritually doesn't mean the spiritual hunger has gone away. I think one of the reasons we live in such a mean-spirited age <laughs> is because we just don't know how to forgive each other. We don't know how to come together to seek bigger and deeper things. You know, one of the great gifts of some of the things that we've gone through over the last 20 years here as a congregation is that it can make us humble. And when you're humble, <laughs> you know you need to say your prayers. 
And it's actually in suffering that we can that we can learn deeper things. You know, Paul says, for God has graciously granted you the privilege not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for him as well. There's a great story where Francis and Brother Leo, his most, uh, his, his closest companion, were walking through a snowstorm. And Francis is kind of walking behind him and says, oh, Brother Leo, uh, he, he goes, when, when we're in the midst of all kinds of trials like this, or in the midst of the beauty of the earth, uh, that's not what true joy is. And he goes, and he keeps talking and they're getting colder and it's stone, it's getting worse and they're damp and they're cold. And, and he keeps saying, no, this is not pure joy. And finally, Brother Leo turns around and says, for God's sake, what is pure joy, brother, Francis? And he says, when we truly suffer and yet still can give God the glory, therein lies true joy. It does not mean that we're supposed to go out of our way to find suffering. <laughs> I think all of us know this who have lived life long enough. You don't have to go looking for suffering, right? <laughs> you don't have to go looking for hard times. You don't have to go looking for sadnesses. Right? But the great gift of our faith, and this is what Paul taught and lived, as well as Francis, is that as Christians, when we suffer, we can have fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. The suffering of this life, though it may seem meaningless on the outside, brings us to the cross. It can bring us to the cross. And if you come to the cross and you're suffering, then your sufferings and Jesus' sufferings are one. I told a father this one time as he grieved a daughter that he lost. Nobody ever dies alone because Jesus died. And I believe that's true about suffering because we believe in a God who suffered for us. We have a living Lord who suffers with us. One of the things that I think it's hard for us to understand in Paul here is this idea that to die is gain. Even if you have a strong belief in heaven, it's something none of us probably really feel, right? <laughs> right? That's why we work hard to stay alive. And I don't think they're contradictory. To love life, to fight to be well, to, to try to get as much life as you can is not in contradiction to what Paul says for me to die is gain. It's just a matter of perspective, right? The great freedom we have as Christians is because we believe that though we die, we will live. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to act out of the fear of death. It colors so much. It colors so much of why the world behaves so badly. In fact, ironically, one of the reasons we kill so much and are so violent is because of our fear of death. The last line of Brother Son is a, is a line that often confuses people because right before Francis died, he added this verse. Praise be you, my Lord, through sister death, for whom no one can escape. Now, why would you call death sister? 
Well, what did Paul say? Who's our last enemy? The last, our last enemy, death is the last enemy. And what did Jesus say about our enemies? You're supposed to love your enemies. So the amazing, I think, is psychologically beautiful. By approaching death as an enemy, God has called us to love. But even when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we're not alone. Even facing death and even grieving the deaths of others, which is the hardest thing, one of the hardest things any of us have to do, that's not separate or separated from creation or God's love. Probably we've all heard that expression, blessed is a soul that expects nothing for they shall not be disappointed. <laughs> Actually find that a very helpful one. But I think for St. Paul and St. Francis, blessed is a soul that expects nothing for they shall enjoy everything. What Paul is teaching here is a radical freedom for me to live as Christ to die is gain. We are blessed to have someone like Francis of Assisi to show us in a concrete way what that looks like. And both Paul and Francis call us to find ways to embody that here in our day and time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand with me as we say what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. From the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. And I just want to remind you that over a billion people today either said that explicitly in their own language or gathered around that creed implicitly. So we are not alone in this world and God has his church. Let's continue our worship by giving to God our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings.
So ours is an open communion. By that, we mean regardless of what church or denomination or tradition you come from, if you believe in Christ, have been baptized into him, you are welcome. This table belongs to Christ. It does not belong to us. May God bless you as you receive his gifts. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Therefore, we pray you with angels and archangels of all the heavenly host together saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us, and we had fallen to sin and death. You sent your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to live his life and to die and share that grace with all of us. He stretched out his arms on the cross and gave his life to perfect sacrifice for the whole race. On the night that our Lord was headed over suffering death, he took bread, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In the same manner after dinner, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant I'm making you with in my blood. Whenever you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Lord, in this sacrifice, we give you of praise and service we ask that you would bring upon us anew your Holy Spirit. 
May these, un, may these common elements set aside for your uncommon service. Receive the gift of your Holy Spirit and may we also be sanctified by that gift of the Holy Spirit. We give you all praise and honor in, through, and by your Son, Jesus, who showed us how to live and taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Lord, we, in the spirit of giving us your body and blood, come with you to you as we bring you prayer to the very presence of God. Forgive those who are recovering, those who are undergoing treatments. Bless the marriages we had yesterday, and bless all couples. Yeah, 